So I'm Adam Finn. I'm a professor of paediatrics, that's children's medicine at the university, and a consultant physician at the Children's Hospital here in Bristol. Uh, my specialist interest is in infectious diseases, and I spend quite a lot of my time doing research into infections and the use of vaccines in children and young people. What is the likelihood of finding a vaccine for the COVID-19 virus? Can you help with that question? Yes, certainly. Um, Actually, quite a large number of groups, some in the UK and in other countries across the world, are racing to develop vaccines against this infection at the present time. Um, And already I'm aware of at least uh, one vaccine that's being trialled in human subjects, with others lining up to start within the next month. So uh, there is already a lot of work being done towards this goal. Okay, so how long would a vaccine have to be around for it to be considered to be safe to be used and rolled out for public service, if that makes sense? So uh, estimates are varying. At the moment, most people are saying somewhere between a year and 18 months, although one's now beginning to hear that that process might be accelerated. Uh, Of course, it does depend on the vaccine in question actually working, and many vaccines turn out not to be viable along the way. So we can expect at least some of these vaccines not to go forward. Um, But the reason it takes such a long time is firstly because the vaccine does need to be tested for safety first. You clearly Mm -hmm. can't be giving a vaccine to people that is doing them harm. And once we know that it's basically safe, we then need to build up evidence that it actually works before you roll it out into much larger numbers of people. Because, again, you don't want to be wasting resources and time in doing something that doesn't work. And then the other part of the delay is that once you have a vaccine that works, uh, you've then got to multiply it up into the sort of numbers of doses that you need to, to immunize a large proportion of the population of the world, which is obviously millions and billions of people. Uh, And the process of doing that reliably uh, and effectively and on high scale does take time as well. So we're not going to see a vaccine that works uh, going uh, around and being inoculated into people uh, until at the very earliest sometime next year. I think that will actually make people feel a little bit better because there was the concern that something would be rushed. It might be made compulsory and not had the necessary testing. So I think that will be a relief to some of our listeners. Do you know or could you foresee if it would be made compulsory if there were a vaccine? I think in a country like the United Kingdom, that would be extremely unlikely. Yeah. Uh, Firstly, uh, we've no history of ever doing that. Uh, Secondly, Uh, In this country, we offer vaccines to people and to their children through the NHS, and almost everybody uh, is keen to have them. So there's really absolutely no need for compulsion here, uh, where people are strong supporters of immunisation. And I think in the situation we're currently in, uh, people would be uh, very enthusiastic to receive a vaccine, provided we could tell them that it was both safe and effective. Can I ask you, why has coronavirus come as such a shock? Why has it, you know, surprised us in this way? Yeah, it's a good question. But in some ways, uh, the answer is that we we should not be that surprised. We've had two previous outbreaks of serious coronavirus infection. Both of them came under control, but they were clear signs that this was a possible thing that could happen in the future. 
most of the uh, focus of attention around pandemics has been on influenza because we see a lot more flu disease uh, in the human population and happened over the last century. Uh, so that's naturally been where people have been most expecting the pandemic to come from. Uh, but actually, coronavirus has been a problem before, uh, and it's now shown uh, again that it can be a much bigger problem than it was previously. Is it called COVID-19 because there were 18 previous strains? Has that got anything to do with it? No, it's called COVID-19, which is coronavirus infectious disease 19, after 2019, which was the year when this emerged in China, sometime in November or December last year. So the 19 refers to the year it, uh, it started and, and moved into the human species. The, the two previous outbreaks uh, of uh, coronavirus disease, there have only been two that I'm aware of, uh, were, were uh, earlier in the century with the SARS epidemic or severe acute respiratory syndrome and then the MERS epidemic, which is Middle East respiratory syndrome. So this is the third time it's happened. So you mentioned then about the third time with humans. So, you know, where did it start? Some people are saying it started in the fish markets. It started with animals. Someone said it started with a bat. You know, what's the truth about where this virus started from? Well, geographically, uh, we, we're pretty clear. It's, it started uh, in people who were, uh, who were working in or going to a uh, live animal market in Wuhan in China. Um, and so the presumption is that the virus uh, jumped from one of the animals, uh, live animals in that market into one or more humans who were around that animal or animals that had the virus at the time. Um, the exact uh, species of animal and the way it may have transmitted from one to another to another species is still under research. The, the best theory at the moment is that this is in fact a virus of bats, um, that the, the virus was transmitted into another animal species, possibly an animal called a pangolin, which is a kind of anteater, uh, and that from there it went into humans. But I don't think that has been definitively proven. We just know that it came from that market where a whole variety of different animals were being sold. So does that mean that animals can catch it or that the, an animal could be a carrier? At the moment, we don't think that there's any serious problem in terms of humans getting the infection from other animals that are around us. Uh, even though it came from an animal species originally, what's going on at the moment is clearly human-to-human -human transmission. Um, there has been, uh, I think, one report of a dog which was not ill but was reported to have persistent virus, but that's a single report amongst many hundreds of thousands of cases in humans. So I think at the moment we can set aside concerns about animals around us and focus our attention on other people. Good. What's the truth about how it can't survive, it's heat resistant and can't survive in hot countries or are over a certain temperature? You know, is that why there are lower cases in Africa? I think at the moment the, uh, the reason that we're seeing very small numbers of cases in Africa is that uh, it's really only just arrived there yeah. and that there's very limited testing going on. So there may well be a lot more cases in Africa than we are aware of, just as is the case here in England, where the numbers that you're hearing reported are not the real numbers of people yeah. with the infection. They're just the numbers of people that have had a test done 
and composited. I'm afraid the evidence that we have from other coronaviruses uh, is not very encouraging that we will see a disappearance of this infection in the warmer months, in particular because uh, with the whole, of, almost the whole of the population being non-immune, uh, viruses like this can continue to be passed from person to person, even when the the, the temperature warms up a bit. So I, I don't have any great optimism that we're going to see uh, a disappearance of this as we move into the spring and summer. Um, I think what will lead to uh, a downturn in cases is uh, efforts to reduce our contact between people. And then eventually uh, enough people will become immune to the infection that it begins to be less likely that it'll be passed around. So you think we'll build up a natural resistance or resilience to the to the virus? Well, yes, like other viruses and infections, you, you do, um, when you recover from an infection, you, you recover because you develop immunity to it. Yeah. That's how our immune systems work. Um, just how strong that immunity and long-lasting that immunity will be, well, time will tell. Uh, but at least there will be some degree of immunity because that is what is enabling the majority of people who get this infection to recover. So could I get it twice? There are certainly reports of individuals who have uh, tested negative and then tested positive again. It's too soon to say whether that really is important in the sense of it being common or indeed uh, people getting seriously ill second time around. Uh, I think what we would expect is that if uh that it would be relatively unusual and that if it did happen, people would get it more mildly second time around. Uh, and maybe it'll be rare that that happens at all. But I'm afraid I can't tell you uh, a definitive answer to that question at this point. It's still too soon. It's still too soon. You've been incredibly helpful. If there was one thing that you could tell our listeners to do, or maybe not one thing, what would be your advice to our listeners at the moment? I think we've all got a responsibility at this time to do to contribute to the effort to reducing the spread of this virus. Even if you're a young, healthy person who uh, is relatively unlikely to get seriously ill from this virus, you can still protect other more vulnerable people by making a real effort to avoid contact with others during this critical phase. So we all have a responsibility to do that and to make every effort to not have contact with other people during the coming weeks. It's really important that everybody does that. So when, um, and again, this is maybe a question you can't answer, but do you think it's quite likely we'll have an enforced lockdown? And if that does happen, do you know what that means in respect of, say, people going to work? Will they not be allowed to go to work? Can you answer any of those? Uh, well, of course, I'm not involved in, in uh, developing policy. No. Uh, I th my, my sense is that the authorities um, would much prefer not to compel people um, in as much as they can, because we're a free society and we're used to certain freedoms. Uh, nevertheless, um, ultimately, uh, the authorities do have the powers, uh, can take powers to control what we do if it's necessary in order to keep society functioning. Uh, I think at this point, uh, what I'm seeing is that people are being educated, informed and encouraged to take the right steps uh, on the one hand, to isolate each, themselves from each other. On the other hand, not to panic, not to go and clear the shelves in the supermarkets, yeah. just to keep calm and carry on living in a normal way as possible. But just stop going to pubs, stop going to the cinema, 
stop going to places where other people are congregating and reduce the spread of the virus. And if you could just remind our listeners what to do, uh, at what point should they self-isolate? So the the recommendations are very clear at the present time. In other words, if you develop a, a new cough, a persistent cough that you didn't have before, or a fever or both, Uh, then you should stay at home for a minimum period of seven days. And if you live with other people in a family unit or or shared accommodation, then all the people in that uh, group living with you should in fact stay at home and not go out for a period of 14 days. That is because if you have the infection, you uh, may well pass it on to other people living with you and sharing space with you. Uh, And that 14 days should allow enough time for the illness to become apparent. Absolutely fantastic. Adam, you've been amazing. Is there anything you feel like I haven't asked or should have done? So I'd just like to finish by saying that it's important that everybody at this point keeps calm and that they realise that they all have a part to play in controlling this problem. Professor Adam Finn, thank you so much for joining us today here on Aduma Radio.